Hey, everybody. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. Thank you for joining me once again for another awesome show with some amazing creative people. This week, we feature the group Haka de Picciato. If that sounds familiar, it could be for a few reasons. Danielle de Picciato was a guest on an earlier show a few months ago. Or maybe you recognize Alexander Haka from Einstroizande Neubauten. I apologize to Alexander and Danielle for still not being able to pronounce that very well. We cover a lot of ground on this show, just like Alex and Danielle do in their daily lives, because they're literal nomads. They both have an extensive distinguished career in music and art. So how did Nick Cave bring them together, and what do Portishead and Beyonce mean to them? More importantly, how is their new album, The Current, a little bit different from their previous work? Check them out at Haka DiPicciato on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX. Check out our merchandise at performanceanx.threadless.com. Subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with people that you know. You know you want to. Now let's get a little crazy with Haka DiPicciato. Hi, this is Alexander Haka and... Danielle DiPicciato. Of Haka DiPicciato. And you are listening to Performance Anxiety. And we are presenting The Current, our new album. I had a weird dream, and it involved you guys last night. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that usually st- that's uh, usually an awkward start to a conversation, so I'll keep it going. <laughs> Um, I do this podcast from my room. So I've got uh, just a, I live in Virginia. I've got a two story house with a deck on the back. I usually do it from my bedroom, which is upstairs. In my dream, I'm doing the podcast. For, uh, so first of all, I'm dreaming about doing a podcast, which is ridiculous in the first place. <laughs> but I'm doing it on the back deck. And it's just it's normal to me in my dream. But somehow all my podcasting equipment, all the electronic equipment I use is hydro powered. So I have to go and hook this attachment in my dream up to my shower head upstairs, run run it out the bathroom window down this little track that my son has for his like matchbox cars, his little hot wheels, metal cars. And then it somehow it attaches to my soundboard and my laptop and everything runs that way. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm about to do the podcast and then I, I, I wake up for some reason. So I get settled, I go back to sleep and it, it kind of resumes with my dad showing up saying, Hey, <laughs> I know you've got this podcast to do. I've got a great place for you to do it. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm having Danielle and Alexander on. I don't know if I'm going to have time. So he goes, no, no, come on, let's pack it up. So we pack it up. And he's driving me to some weird location. And then you guys start calling me. And I'm like, I'm not even close to being, I have no idea where I'm going. I, I'm not, well, all my stuff is packed in my, in my dad's car. And, and I'm trying to, having to answer, the, answer the phone and explain to you guys. And, and um, Yeah, I know we're supposed to be talking right about now, but I'm in my dad's car driving to somewhere. And I'll have to let you know when I get there. I hope it's, so it was just, it was just weird, weird dream. Was it one of those that seemed really real? Yes, it did. Yeah. When I'm on tour, I dream of, I dream about being on tour. But but yours seems to be a very visionary, uh, progressive dream because apparently hydrogen is the answer <laughs> to, to quite a few uh, 
<laughs> that's the only thing I've ever been visionary about. That's that's okay. I'll tell you that for sure. But um, maybe it's also like the dream about no cables. You know, like all those cables you were just entangled in. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Maybe yeah. it was foreshadowing my trouble of me getting tangled up. Exactly, because we dream of that all the time, a life without cables. Oh, gosh. If we didn't have to schlep them around all the time, we'd have like 50 pounds of luggage less, I think. Oh, yeah, but you guys are kind of doing it as far as, as a lot of people, compared to, well, compared to a lot of people, I guess I should say, because you are nomadic and you're not tied down to anything. Me, I've got... I've got to worry about my wireless and, and the cable coming in and every, everything concerning a house. And it's, it's a lot. And you guys, you guys have just cut that completely. Well, you know, you still have cables on tour too. Oh, that's sadly. true. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's, that's true. And, and yeah. responsibilities, you know, responsibilities yeah. are, are very portable these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you make a very good point. So. <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you. Uh, I'll let oh, you know when the show's out. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> All right. So, um, as I said, you know, Danielle has been on before. We need some great detail about your career. What I want to know now is, is a little bit more about Alexander's uh, history. Because um, you you were, uh, I believe, one of the founding members. And please, my German is almost non-existent. So I'm going to butcher this horribly, which I'm sure you hear a lot. But now it's my turn to probably offend you. Come on. <laughs> Neubauten. Oh, not too bad. Oh, not too bad at yeah. all. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all the German I know besides Ein Beer. So, but you joined. I, I see a bit of two people like that. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you joined the band at, was it age 14 or 15? Yeah, well, I started hanging out with the guys uh, when I was 14 and. Uh, uh, yep, and then um, I started playing with them ar around that time too. Okay, were you were you always a musician up? You know, at that tender age, have you been playing music for a long time at that point? Well, around that time, I had decided that I wanted to be a professional musician. I cleared out my locker in school and uh, never went there again. And uh, wow. from that wow. moment on, I I was a musician, I suppose. Yeah, you were. Definitely. And the band, which I am, I, I did my, I, I blew my, my, my load there doing the, uh, saying it that one time, I got it right, somewhat right. So I'm not going to try it again. Um, the band has been. You can say, you can say Neubauten. Oh. Neubauten? Just, just say Neubauten. That's Neubauten. Fine. Okay, perfect. All right. So Neubauten, <laughs> they've very revolutionary at the time um using custom built instruments uh instruments made out of scrap metal tools using noise in the music was that the plan from the start Yeah. 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 
Um, well, we still we still do use um, you know all kinds of materials and uh, appliances and and uh, and that. But uh, yeah, I, I suppose we from the start already we wanted to be more extreme than the underground music that was apparent at the time. You know, we were kind of bored with punk rock that was just like good old rock and roll just played a little faster and a little more aggressive but there was, it was you know there wasn't there wasn't much really innovative stuff going on at the time plus uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money so um, uh, the drummer Andrew he had to sell his drum kit in order to be able to pay his rent and oh, wow. uh, and so the drum kit was uh, surely replaced with uh, things that we nicked from uh, building sites Oh wow! Now, when you guys played out, was that uh, was it hard to to move that kind of stuff to recreate those sounds on a stage? Uh, it was... still is. <laughs> <laughs> heavy. They have like this one thing that's a, a what is it? An airplane a turbine? Jet, a jet, jet turbine. Jet ta- How heavy is that? It's like two hundred kilos. Four hundred <laughs> pounds. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of have to check to make sure that the stage can handle the, you know, your your instruments. Yeah. Well, you know, the jet turbine, um, funnily enough, isn't flying with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine you'd, you'd get a little uh, pushback on that. Yeah. We want to bring this jet turbine on stage <laughs> for one song. Uh, well, we do in Europe, you know, but, but if we can load it in a, in a van, then, you know. Oh, my God. We will bring it out, but wow! You know, you, you have backliners, you know, and they're strong and sober. <laughs> well, that's that's Poor good. Guys. <laughs> you, yeah, you got to make sure those guys are pointing everything in the right direction. Right, man. So, were you guys making the instruments yourselves, or were you having them made? Uh, we've always been uh, researching uh, in materials, and also. The, the idea of, of um, repurposing an, an object, you know, is, is very dear to us. You okay. know, like, we, okay. like, like we're on tour somewhere, we drive through, say, Zagreb or Budapest or something, you know, and there'll be like an object dividing the lanes of, of the road, you know, okay. and made of plastic or something like that. And, uh, and we drive by and we think like, oh, this looks interesting. It probably does sound very nice. So we stop and steal it, and uh, <laughs> most of the times it, it turns out that it actually does sound very nice. And by repurposing it, we give that object a new life. You know, like yeah. that object that before was you know just lead, leading a very you know frustrating life. You know, dividing two lanes. You know, like some somewhere in a city, Budapest. You know. <laughs> now, you know now becomes a jet setter, you know, and is traveling around the world, you know, and oh, is admired by uh, by thousands of beautiful women everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> See, maybe you can do that with my podcast. Just uh, <laughs> so, uh, turn me into a jet setter, because right now I'm just sitting in my bedroom in Virginia. <laughs> oh man! But you know, so is that something you still do? Then you, is that uh, is that something that you brought into Haka de Picciato as well? Uh, Found using found items to make music? Uh, not that much. The, the thing with with us is that we are we have to be very effective with everything that we do. So uh, we 
effective meaning weight wise. Yes, because yes, a wheat where okay. we do not have um, roadies, roadies <laughs> yes. and we do not have anybody that's strong. It's only us two, so we basically <laughs> can only take what we two can carry, and we've pretty much achieved. Yeah. reaching the absolute limit of how, what you can carry. Yes, yes. Like, we, we travel we travel with, with scales and our, our luggage is always maxed out. Yeah. Oh, like, so the, the ground, the ground personnel, personnel at, at airports, you know, like when they see us coming, they're always, you know, like getting very excited. We're going to fleece those those people, you know, like, um, and, and then they get very frustrated when they find out that, that our luggage is, is like always exactly on 50 pounds, you yeah. know, not, not a, not a gram more or less. Yeah. That's yeah, now, yeah. You got to be careful when you travel with scales in the U S cause they automatically assume you're dealing drugs. So, Oh, <laughs> tip from performance anxiety. Be careful when you're traveling with scales. So, Daniel, you you moved to Berlin in 1987 from the U.S. You just you picked up and moved and and uh, began singing with Space Cowboys, um, co-initiator of the Love Parade, and and this is stuff we've we've talked about. If anybody wants more detail on that, definitely go check out the show you did with me a few months ago. Um, how did briefly let, let's just retouch on that a little bit? Um, what made you move to Berlin from the U.S. and, and how did you get started singing and, and initiating the, the love parade? I, I know it's a tall order to ask you to, that, to do that <laughs> briefly. Time. We did a whole show on that, but the yeah. best you can. Um, well, funnily, all three of those things kind of happened by accident. A friend invited me to Berlin to visit her. I went to visit her. She was living in a huge, amazing loft uh, where somebody was just moving out and I could move in. And it only cost 30 marks, which back then was about $15 a month. And coming from New York, I was like, I'm staying. <laughs> that, yeah. That's kind of how I came to Berlin. That's like a really super short version of it. And um, there was... <laughs> and how I started singing with Space Cowboys was also kind of a coincidence because they they were friends. We all worked in the same clubs. And one day they asked me if I wanted to sing sing with them, and I was like terrified because um, I had I've been doing I learned music when on a very early age, like piano and violin, and um, like around five or six years old, and I had to do like sh shows. And they always went wrong. Like either I would forget what I was supposed to play and I would trip or I would, you know, just like these horrible things that happen to children when they're on stage. So I had terrible stage fright. And so when they asked me if I wanted to sing for them, I said yes, because I was so terrified of it. And I thought I have to do it because maybe that'll help me get rid of this fear. And so basically the first thing they wanted me to do for, for the first show was just stand on stage and scream, there's life on Mars. And that was actually <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't scared. So I was like, okay, this is a good way of going about doing it. So I stayed and we continued and I became the singer. And only very much later I asked them, so why did you actually ask me? And they said, well, because you'd recorded that album with, um, with somebody else. And I was like, that wasn't me. That was somebody else called Danielle. <laughs> so I thought they asked the wrong person, but that's the way I got into the band. That's, I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> and how did the love parade begin? And the love parade started because, um, you know, um, that was 
early, uh, it was 98, uh, 89, sorry, um, when this kind of new music was coming over the horizon. And uh, my then boyfriend was very interested in, it was like the beginning of Acid House and techno and stuff. And we had always been interested in parades, like going to, to, to Brazil to see one of those parades. We somehow always liked the idea of wearing these crazy costumes and dancing to wonderful music in the oh, street, yeah. you know, especially because it looked like it always was beautifully sunny. And in Berlin, it's usually not that sunny. Oh. So we had always thought going down there and doing that. And then one day he came home, he was a DJ or he is a DJ, still is. He came home and he said, you know what? I had an idea. Instead of going to Brazil, why don't we just do our own parade and dance to this cool new music? And um, I was like, that sounds good. I can do like costumes for it and stuff. And then because Berlin is such a, you know, a city that has such a high tradition of demonstrations, we said, well, you know, actually, why don't we just, because we were still, you know, the wall had not fallen by then. Right, right. We were still surrounded by a wall. And we said, well, why don't we actually do a demonstration and um, kind of like a demonstration for something instead of against something and do a demonstration for music because music can cross all barriers and fly over all walls. Right. And, um, you know, so do like a positive demonstration and dance down the streets to our music. So we did that. And um, the first time, not very many people came. A lot of people came to make fun of us, actually. But when they saw what how much fun we were having, they... They said, oh, can't you do it again? We'd like to participate next time. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, you look at how silly you look. Can we join you next year? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so then, you know, the first time I think there were like 150. The second time there were 1,500. And by the fifth time there were 1.5 million. So that became very successful. But I quit when it became that many because I don't like big crowds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's got to be hard to, to get a handle on. Yeah, I mean, it became like a huge, you know, a huge um, kind of uh, company. I mean, the Love Parade, there were five people that were doing it and 100 people that were working for it and stuff. So, But that was after I quit because I'm just more into experimental um, underground stuff. And, and I, I, I just like crowds. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, anything so, that has 1.5 million participants out in the streets, I, it's not, I don't know if that's considered underground anymore. Exactly. I'm more, I'm like, not that mainstreamy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how did, how did the two of you meet? Well, we basically met pretty sh shortly after I moved to Berlin because the place I moved into was a huge factory loft. And one of the guys that was living there was um, Roland Wolf. He was the keyboarder of Nick Cave. Okay. And, and he was one of Alexander's best friends. Well, I guess, when did you start making music together? Because that was, if that was 87, then... No, well, you know, like we, we, we met and uh, actually before I met Danya, uh, before I actually was introduced to her, Formally, I, um, I were you formally introduced to me? <laughs> Danielle, yeah, I, Alexander, Alexander, yeah. Danielle. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I, um, I I remember um, seeing her standing at a at a bus stop, um, uh, all decked out in black pleather with a with a beehive. Oh um, wow! <laughs> yeah, I was, so I was very taken by that 
creature. So I, I, when I, when I finally met her, I was uh, very taken by her already. And, um, yeah, and so we've been hanging out in the same scene for almost 25 years, always involved with other partners until it so happened that we both, um, you know, became available to each other. And then we started <laughs> going out with each other. And uh, um, In 2001. In 2001, yes. Okay. And, uh so I know all of his ex-girlfriends and he knows all of my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> that, that can be good. Yeah. I think. <laughs> my wife knows good. none of mine. Which is <laughs> <laughs> so you started making music together. Um, immediately. Immediately? Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, started, we started doing, doing um, like audio visual projects together. And in the beginning, it, it was more like, like these art kind of happenings where um, Danielle would do uh, projections and, and all kinds of uh, installations and setups and I would provide uh, strange soundscapes and stuff. <laughs> that, Your specialty. That, or, yes, or, or, I would be, or I would be like a human jukebox and, uh, you know. Would, he, wants did a, he wants did a karaoke show um, where he basically sang – like he was DJing, but he was singing all the vocals. Oh, that is so awesome. Yeah. For yeah. a whole opening, like for a whole evening of an, like an opening, it was amazing. Yeah. It was like a, like like a personality of, disorder karaoke thing. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let anyone else sing. So I just sang all night. <laughs> yeah. So he, <laughs> I love that. So he's like, what were you singing? You were singing like, well, all the, all the classics. Yeah. All the classics. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. What, what, what songs? What, you, you know, Survivor. Uh, no, no, not I Will Survive, of course, you know, and, and uh, uh, Strangers in the Night, you know, what have you, you know, like all the, all the classics. Naturally I, Born Woman. Oh, yes, yeah. You make me feel like a natural, uh, oh, like a naturally born Carol woman. Carol King. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Oh, I wish I could have heard that. You can do a wonderful version of that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read that you you also do the the throat singing. Yes. That. How did you get into that? That sounds. That sounds like it would just like shred your throat. How do you do that? Uh, well, I started as a kid. As a, as a kid, I would amuse my my classmates by talking like a robot. <laughs> I have a cold right now, so it's hard. Uh, after. <laughs> After a while, after a while I, I figured that I can also sing like that. And then, you know, during during my you know musical education, I learned that there is actually a singing style that applies that you know utilizes this uh, vibrating of the larynx. Yes. Yes. You know this kind of stuff. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then I, I, you know, I just trained it. I just cultivated it, and uh, after a while, you know, I, I, you know, I can just call it off. Right now, I have a cold, as I said, so it's not. Well, it still amazing. sounded amazing. <coughs> that one, not so much. <laughs> but and it's it's funny because I always assu uh, uh, associated that with traditional folk music from like Mongolia and 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 you know, Eastern Europe and all. And I heard, uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, There, there's a Mongolian 
throat singing metal band called Tanger Cavalry, and their songs they they throw that into like all their heavy metal songs. It's it's really weird, but I love it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's quite wow. Quite that a, sounds great. There's quite a few Tuvan uh, rock bands now. Tuva is the the official name of of the area. Um, but what I do really is more, uh, you know, like to in order to uh, justify what I'm doing. Um, it's uh, it's more rooted, I suppose, in, in what the Inuit people, you know, like the, um, what you're not supposed to call Eskimos anymore. Right. Uh, you know, what they're doing is, it's like, it's, I'm, I'm working less with the overtones and, and more with, with just the pure vibration of the larynx. And Inuit music to me is very interesting too, because they don't have any melodies. Oh, <laughs> none, none, none whatsoever. I'll have to, and, I haven't heard any. I'll have to look into that. And they, uh, and another great thing that they do is, is like, uh, uh, it's, uh, particularly, uh, Inuit women or, older Inuit women, what they do is they play this game where they breathe into each other's mouth and who's, you know, who has stopped because they cannot take it anymore, loses the game, so to speak. Oh my God. Like a rhythmical thing that they do. So you should check that out. That's, that sounds really great too. It's it's just just like this, this, uh, you you hear these female voices like breathing (laughs) and then it always ends with laughter because some, (laughs) can't take it anymore so and like, that's the kind of stuff they do to keep warm oh well i guess that makes sense to me it sounded like cpr the game <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to look that up though that that's i might want to see that i don't know I, i'm not sure <laughs> but last well, we do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you you don't. I, I, just, I can. I for, get dizzy too fast. <laughs> I, for, and, and you don't. At least you don't release that on your albums, from what I can. No. Tell, so. No. But last year, Alexander, you you oh. were uh, you collaborated on one of my favorite albums of the year, and one of, with one of my favorite artists of all time, David Eugene Edwards, on the Risha album. Yeah. How did that come about? Because I don't I know he's a fan of, of bands like Joy Division and Neubauten, but I his music doesn't at least not with 16 horsepower and maybe maybe a little more with Woven Hand didn't seem like it would mesh all with that type of music, but it's a brilliant album. How did you guys start to collaborate? Well, we we've met fairly early on in the in the late nineties. I was there. Were actually uh, so we've we've met in the in the nineties sometime when when uh, sixteen horsepower came through town or something. And uh, and in the uh, and in the late nineties or just just before they disbanded, they were actually going to ask me to play bass for them. Oh wow. But the um, but the uh, the manager at the time he was kind of 
little mess up or something. Anyway, his email program got uh, got messed up in a way that <clears throat> the the date was wrong. So I, I could always see on my email program that I had a new message, but I could never find it because it, the date on it was something like 1982 or something. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All the way in, in the bottom. So I never, I never actually received the, uh, you know, the inquiry. Oh, wow. And, and anyway, so we were, we were friends for, we had been friends for a while. And then we did that uh, also with Danielle involved. We did that uh, Crime in the City Solution reunion. Yes, yes. And and that's when we actually got to spend quite a bit of time together, and that's when that that the idea for that project uh, culminated. It's beautiful. The music is beautiful, and I've seen some clips of the two of you playing live, and it's amazing. There's uh, uh, a clip that I saw just I was looking at it just last night. It's uh, you two playing Strawfoot and Breathtaker together, and it was the. 16 Horsepower's music is very folky, Americana, and you add your addition to the song made it a completely new song to me. it up and, and made it something new and I loved both of those tracks it was an amazing yeah thank you I mean what um, we were we well we figured that we were both very influenced by um, uh, a very um, how do you say uh, uh, a very influential uh, American band um, called suicide oh yeah and, yeah and uh, and then uh, so we you know, like I, I wouldn't be here doing what I do if it wasn't for suicide. I, I suppose I wouldn't have survived my teenage years if it wasn't for suicide. <laughs> That's very strange. Which sense is, taken out of context. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you know, as music uh, has the ability to to uh, to make you feel not alone. Yeah. You know, like so. Yeah. So, you know, uh, suicide kind of reinforced you know, what, what I wanted to do and what I was thinking and feeling at the time. And for David, it's, it's very similar, you know, and, uh, and Al Vega's, uh, stage demeanor and, and his way of singing, you know, um, which is very much influenced by, you know, the, uh, you know, like the, the, the American Bible belt preaching, you know, like, just like how, how, um, uh, Elvis Presley was influenced by by this kind of yeah, style gospel of, uh, and the yes, and uh, so so and then then uh, Alan passed away and and we we wanted to kind of pick up this this notion this this idea you know of of having like like a a strong vocalist you know being supported by by electronic music right and right. and given our respective backgrounds that. That's how that project came to came to be. Well, it was special too because you know Alex Alex started out basically being like this genius child musician in Berlin, 
doing like tape recording loopings and stuff like that. Like he didn't start out as being an instrumentalist, but more almost as an electronic, electronic musician. musician. Yeah. Oh, okay. And this is, yeah, pretty amazing short clips about him on you can find online too but he was like really young doing these crazy things and so this was the first project actually ever since then that you perform purely electronic right yeah i yeah and, and oh, also wow. because yeah also because you know david is such a you know a virtuoso on stringed instruments you know and, and i didn't want i didn't want the or we didn't want the the project to be this kind of thing you know like these two uh, string pickers, you know, like uh, <laughs> sit together, you know, like an out out playing each other, you know. Right. So, I de- so, so I decided, you know, I, I'll I'll just concentrate on on electronic uh, devices and electronic sounds, you know, and, and leave the the picking and the singing to him. Well, it it worked beautifully, in my opinion. I absolutely love that album. So, thank you. And the, the, like I said, the the live performances were just as as intense. It was. Uh, Really impressive to to see how you transformed the older material, like the old 16 horsepower material, into something that sounded completely different. So I hope you guys do get a chance to make more music together because I love that album. Thank you. There's also um, right now I I posted it on the on the uh, Risha Facebook site. There is um, a French filmmaker who is just in the process of releasing the entire Paris show. Oh wow. Um, last year as a you know as a film and uh one one clip of that is is already on online but it, but it will be released in its entirety very soon oh that's good news i'll i'll definitely have to get that speaking of of filmmakers i wanted to talk about the new album um because a lot of the music that you two create together is very cinematic sounding it very wide and sweeping and it's it's amazing that it's just the two of you uh, <laughs> you guys have been traveling for 10 years now you you've closed up your house you you and you become nomads correct mm-hmm. and you've been doing that for 10 years which is in, it just in, amazing to me uh how has that changed how you approach writing and recording music well, it, it changed it pretty massively in the way that somehow when you do something like that, it kind of affects your whole life because you have to give up um, on so many things. And, and yet on the other hand, you have to like um, learn so many things too, because, you know, um, it's quite different than having a, a, a home. And so you kind of are letting down all the walls. And I guess that's what we did musically as well. So we we like we had an album before we had done before, which was called Hitman's Heel. And it was that was the first real album that we did together. We, re, we released it. Um, I think it was 2011. And it was already when we were nomads, we said we there we wanted to do something that basically we could play on the street. So there were no uh. over. You know, it was just like our instruments and singing and very simple kind of song ballad stuff. And um, we were we were pretty happy with it, but um, somehow things changed pretty fast after because that was when we had just started out. And then when we got back into the studio for the next album, we realized that we wanted to be a lot freer, that we didn't want like chorus, refrain and all those things. But somehow we were recording in Joshua Tree in the desert and 
I think that really kind of affected us in the way that having that huge desert in front of us kind of made us want to make a huge sound that wasn't inhibited by any kind of structure or pre thought kind of, um, I don't know, like whatever. We just kind of let it influence us and let our state of mind influence us. And, and in that way it became the music that we kind of do now. Does traveling like that, um, change how you how you you approach the instrumentation you use i know like alexander you're, you're very prolific with electronic music you but you're traveling a lot i don't imagine you can have a whole lot of synthesizers and, and computers uh just hanging around you know to, to just plug in somewhere and, and start recording demos and all how has, has that affected how you compose yeah, well, you know, as we said in uh, in the beginning, we we have to be very effective. You know, we have yeah. have to be yeah. very economical with with everything that we do, with everything that we travel with. But um, that also forced us to reduce ourselves to the essentials of of what we want to create. You know, there's right. there's uh, there's not a lot of um, you know ornaments in in the music. It's it's all. Uh, it's all reduced to the to the bare essentials of expression and vibration that we that we want to produce and uh, yeah and there's you know there's decisions like that I uh, I could never make up my mind whether I wanted to play bass or guitar on stage so now I'm, I got myself like a, a bass six which is basically like a guitar which is tuned one octave lower than a regular guitar okay so, you know so i can i can uh, cover the whole range so i can play guitar pitch kind of sounds and bass pitch kind of sounds and um and yeah and uh, the music just you know having left the uh, confines of architectural structures we uh we uh ventured out into into areas where there is no like uh, musical structures. Well, of course there is musical structures, but but none of the uh, uh, you know archetypical, stereotypical uh, structures. And uh, and we just make we we make do with what happens between the two of us. The the interaction between the two of us and the vibration that the two of us create together becomes the uh, essential center of, of the composition. Well, that makes uh, a lot of sense because that, that would lead to a lot of the cinematic qualities of the music. And it sound, a lot of the music sounds like it could be the basis of a movie. Do you, uh, do you guys get a chance to go see movies or do you, do you find any inspiration in theater or cinema? Well, I mean, we're total movie freaks. We love movies. We do, a lot, we do a lot of film music, too. I mean, Alex has done film music for years, and we've been doing this crime series for two years now, the, um, the music for that. So, I mean, they asked us because they heard our music, and they said, that's perfect for music for film so i think it, it kind of you know we always kind of say it's the, the soundtrack of the film of our lives and so i guess that it is we also call it what, what do we call it cinematic drone so um that's a perfect description of it 
Yeah, <laughs> it's great. And then like off the new album, The Current, uh, you one of your, one of my favorite songs is Upon Departure, which is very theatrical, very well, not yet theatrical, very cinematic and sweeping. True. And I, True. I love that song. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, but even though when you when you Google cinematic drone, you get links to these, you know, like remote controlled devices. That <laughs> load, yeah, you know. <laughs> it hasn't been quite established as a music genre yet. <laughs> I, you know, that's I hadn't tried googling that. That, but yeah, I can see where that would be an issue. <laughs> I have a question for you about the song Third from the Sun. Is mm-hmm. that Morse code in the beginning? Yes. Yep. Ah, okay. So, so that's like the original electronic music in a sense then. Yes. So what I, what are you guys saying in that in the with that Morse code? Save our souls. Help. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like um the idea behind that song is kind of earth you know um coming out of space and discovering earth and then in the state that we're in at the moment and then you're kind of like you know it's kind of like crying help help i'm in dire need you know um, there's something going wrong here and then kind of you know like one of those shots when you're in movies and it's like you're out in space and you go really fast zoom into some country and it's like sweeping above the earth and you see all these different people and cultures and sounds. And then you, and so the song like really like, it's kind of like going to like a, like an alien would experience earth, hearing it from far away, kind of SOSing and then coming closer and seeing all the beauty and the, and the, the life that's happening there. And, at the end, it's kind of like a crescendo with all of it at once, and then the spaceship goes away again, and then it hears that SOS in the end. So it's kind of like, it's such a beautiful planet, but it's in such despair. And Daniel, you use a lot of unusual instruments in your recordings, like hurdy-gurdies, auto-harp, and something called, a, a, and I don't know, again, I'm, I'm learning new words talking to you guys, a kemence? Chemence. Chemence. Yes, I said it completely wrong. What is that thing? What is that? And when did you use any other unusual instruments recording the new album? Um, well, that's a tiny little kind of cello-looking thing out of Istanbul that I got when we were in Istanbul years ago. Um, it's it's very small. It's like um, almost as not like even smaller than a violin and you hold it on your leg upright and then you bow it as if it was like a tiny cello. And I liked it because it has like these really, this kind of rough sound. I love, I'm not very virtuoso at it, but I use it more as a sound instrument. And I, I just love anything that has a weird sound. Like I'm a, I'm a sound freak. I love everything that's odd and rough and and strange. And And it's perfect for a nomad with that size. 
Exactly, exactly. And then one other thing that I played this time was another instrument I got in Istanbul, which is a kind of, how would you call it? It's like, a, it's called a Zuma. It's a, a Zuma. Uh, it's, yeah. a, um, it's, it's like a, it's a Turkish clarinet, if you will. It's like a oh, reed, wow. it's, a, it's a reed instrument. So it, so it has a, but it's very small. It looks more like a flute. It doesn't like clarinet sounds extremely like, really? it's definitely not as complicated but as it has, a clarinet. Has, <laughs> yeah, but it has a, Has that squeaky? Has that squeaky sound like like a clarinet? And and the the sound is produced very similar to a clarinet by by uh, two reeds being pressed together with your lips, like like the the mouthpiece of a clarinet. Yeah, and it's very. It's, it kind of sounds like a um, a hysteric duck going like, <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> It's, it's it's really fun to play because it's so incredibly loud. It's, yeah, it's like even Alex, who usually like it's me that is saying to him, "You're too loud." He was like, "Stop playing that! It's too loud." And tiny flute. Yeah, it's like a wow. It's, it's like a weapon. It it really is. Is. Oh my I gosh! One. <laughs> The new album, it's uh, it's a little more upbeat and, and faster tempos than the, the previous stuff you guys have done. Was that on? Was that intentional? We kind of, um, we've been touring a lot and we kind of had the feeling, uh, there's a couple of reasons. First, for one, we had the feeling on stage that uh, up-tempo stuff was missing for us, that we felt like, you know, it kind of, in the dynamics, we needed something to like be able to get into at the end, like somehow to do like this dynamic um, show. And we really felt like doing something fast. And also, I mean, the albums have kind of also been a representation of what we are, what the state state of our lives or of our travels are. So Perseverancia was kind of like, you know, this nomadic state is taking a long, a lot longer than we thought. We thought that it would only take 18 months and now it's almost 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. Perseverancia, Yeah, it was kind of like our way of telling ourselves, you know, just we just have to persevere. persevere. This is going to take longer than we thought. So so it was kind of like a pat on the back for us saying, you know, just look at the desert and it's endless. And maybe this this travel will be endless, too. So <laughs> we have to persevere. <laughs> I like that you laughed when you said that. That that's good. <laughs> And then minute and then Minitika was was the stage, you know, when when everything happened, you know, Brexit and uh, the elections 2016, which right. we don't want to get right. into detail right now, and uh, just the way the, the the world was changing or is changing currently, uh, that kind of really influenced what what we did on that album. And uh, and coming coming out of this phase, we decided that we need to infuse our art and and our performance and our lives 
with a sort of, uh, you know, like a, a, a hopeful forward uh, directed energy. Okay. So, so, so the current is, is, is about um, creating and, and uh, kind of surfing on, on an energy that, that, that brings, brings us and hopefully everyone forward. And the new album's got a more like like we said a more upbeat feel to it. There's I can definitely feel a little bit more of the uh of your background with the Neubaut and uh, energy in it. Do you ever uh, you know especially on songs like Onward and The Banishing, do you ever think maybe one of your songs is a little too much like Neubaut or is that just how you how you compose music? Uh, I I don't know I don't, I I don't think in terms of too much okay or anything I I mean I I don't know it's it's like I uh, I serve you know I, I I serve the the entity that is the music or that is the the given piece of music and uh, and that piece of music that entity demands certain elements for me to create. And, and that's what I do. <laughs> you know. that, that's amazing. Cause I know a lot of artists when they do different projects or different, and they're in different bands, they don't want one band to sound too much like this other band that they're in. And so that, that that's why I asked that question. It was just, uh, you're not even worried about that. You're just, you, you feel like the music is just coming through you, whatever it is. And, and, and you're just going to make it. Yeah. Well, Alex has actually always been in a way kind of, um, not wanting to reluctant, yeah, yeah, very reluctant, and because people usually expect that from you, you know, to to sound like let's say the most known band that you have, right? And right. often, um, for instance, you know, he he used to DJ a little bit, and people would expect him to play, you know, industrial and uh, e- EBM and and this kind of stuff. I had this right. this one thing where I was invited to to Italy to, to do a DJ set in Italy. And when I, when I saw the pictures of the club that I was going to be DJing at, <laughs> which was an, which was an actual dungeon you know, oh that, my God. That, that was used for SM parties, you know, and, and it was the kind of the goth people that invited me. I, I packed a, um, orange three piece corduroy suit. <laughs> oh um, yes. And, and uh, ordered ordered a big bag of weed and played dub reggae all night. They hated me. <laughs> <laughs> you just want a special place in my heart for that. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Now, when you guys go out and you play live, do you play older music from your catalogs, or do you just try to focus on the new releases? And are, we do a mixture. We do a mixture. Okay. I mean, usually when we're doing a new pl- album, we we play, you know, the new songs, but then we also add um, old songs where we think that that it would fit or our favorite ones. You know, there's like Awake, which we love playing from from Passavarancia and Jericho from um, from Minnetaka. So there's like there's you know it's it's. A, of course, if we're presenting a new album, we play as many as we can from the new album, but we also do play old songs. Yeah, it's it's also about it's also about uh, utilizing the music for a sort of ritualistic 
approach of the evening or of the performance. You know, there are certain songs that are obviously better to uh, lure people into our world and and to seduce them and and to get them into the right mood. And then there's other ones that uh, that are very effective in getting messages across and uh, and opening up. Uh, you know the the perceptive uh, capabilities of the audience to in order to you know just like hit them over the head with another one. <laughs> <laughs> do, do these sets change much from performance to performance? Um, no, not really. Was it? Yeah. Well, no, it depends. It, it's uh, no. Of course, we learn. You know, and and yeah. it's, and it's. Uh, uh, trial and error and learning by doing, but um, we don't improvise very much. We, we have, uh, if you, if you uh, do not uh, put into uh, uh, consideration the fact that most of the music is improvised. Oh, that's to start, true. To start with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but within it, you know, we don't start like a completely new piece. You guys aren't doing like a King Crimson twenty-five minute improv piece that nobody has any idea what you're going to do when you start. No, no, no we're, but we're, we might improv like the, the songs that we did now. I mean, like the faster ones, like when I was listening to them the other day, I thought, boy, they could be like three times as long and it'd still be fun. So we might do that on the new shows. Oh, cool. You know, because they really like some of them, at least I, I feel like getting up and dancing and it was like, okay, well, you know, if, if that actually happens, we might just play it three times as long because it's fun. Oh, nice. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Do you guys get a chance to listen to music much? I've had a lot of people on here who say, I, I don't listen to anything because I'm always writing music. Do, do you get a chance to, to listen to anything that's out there? Uh, I do. I, I, I listen to a lot of music and I, I listen to all kinds of music and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And also as we travel so much, you know, I, um, I like to listen to music on, on headphones and, um, and I, yeah. And I also like to, I like to be informed and I, and I, and it makes me happy to support other artists. Therefore I, that's a great point. Therefore, I research, you know, like new releases of, of artists that I'm interested in. And, and if there's anything that I like, I'll, I'll buy it. And then, of course, I'll listen to it since I spent money on it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's for me. That's the hardest part with the downloading of music. I don't feel like I'm, I'm really supportive. I, I like having the artwork with with the the music. And I just feel like I'm, I'm more involved if I can buy an entire album rather than it's like one song at a time. Yeah, yeah, I I only I only buy entire albums too, and and uh, Danielle and I we don't stream. We are very much opposed to the idea of those streaming services yeah. like yeah, we uh, boycott Spotify. And uh, yeah, and because you know, it's um, I mean it's the way that society is changing. It's it's about you know you, it's not about owning things and and having to store things anymore. I I can perfectly understand that. Like even digital space to store things yeah. is getting expensive. So it's it's all about the whole society is all about having access to things, and that's that's all fine in in various fields, but. But in in art and in music, I, I think it's very important to actually uh, yeah, to actually go out of your way and and purchase a piece of art and then consider it as as your 
as your property that you you have supported the artist by buying it and then it's your property and then you find a place to put it somewhere even if it's in the digital realm i I think for me that's that's very important you know i make sure that all my digital devices have lots of storage room where i can put things you know well as a former photographer for a decade or more i i appreciate that so much thank you for saying that and uh, i agree with you completely and i know i've spent a lot of your evening here because it's evening in in berlin but i have one more question for for you guys and you can answer it together you can answer it individually whichever you like but (laughs) in 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 doing the research for speaking with you guys today I, i i listened to an interview with you alexander from a couple of years ago and you said that um music is associated with every part of your life especially important decisions you know uh and and when you listen it'll bring back where you were and and you have the feelings at that time do you have do you guys have any music not including the music you've made together that you associate with each other that's an interesting question i don't think anybody's ever asked us that oh yes I, yeah, I can I can say that um, the the first um, the first record Danielle gave me as a present was the uh, the first Portishead album. Oh. So like the early the early days of trip hop, and we were not even we were not even a, a couple then. I, I will always uh, associate trip hop with Danielle for that matter. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I um, kind of associate <laughs> Beyonce <laughs> because when we started dating, Alex was always listening to Survivors. I was I was listening to I was a big fan of Destiny's Child back then. <laughs> <laughs> so we would always kind of like you know dance together. To that. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I I admit to it. I don't have a problem with it. You know, like I I, I do like I do like pop music. And, he does. And I was a he loves his Lana Del Rey. Oh boy, there you go. <laughs> and, you know, and I was a big fan. I was a big fan of Destiny's Child. I must say, I the the work that Beyonce did on by herself. I'm not that fond of that stuff, but I love Destiny's Child. <laughs> you know, I can't. Disagree. I mean, I like Kelly Rowland a little bit more myself, but that's just me. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for spending so much time with me. I really do appreciate it. I've kept you for about an hour, and, and it, it means a lot to me that I can get both of you guys together, talk a little bit more about the new album. Where can people follow you on social media? Where can they buy the new album and support you guys as artists? Well, we are on Bandcamp uh, as Hacke di Picciotto. We have a Bandcamp site where you can buy all our back catalog and all our recent um, releases. The new album is going to be released on the um, 31st of January. And probably at the beginning of January, we're going to open up Bandcamp for pre-orders. So that's going to be possible. And it also is sold on um, the Neubauten label, um, Potomac. And Neubauten.org. So on the Neubauten website, on the yes, website. in the shop there, you can get it. Exactly. So if you if you go to the Neubauten site, you can get it there. And it's always also being distributed by Indigo, so it will be in, in stores. I don't know how much there will be stores in the States, but in Europe it will be in the stores. We'll see how successful it is. <laughs> <laughs> and is, is there a Haga de Picciato uh, social media presence? 
Yes, uh, absolutely. We're we're on on all of the above. We're on on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and just and we have a website too. And we we do have individual and uh, and our Hakadi Pichotto website. So you you can you can find us once you have figured out how the name is spelled. Then <laughs> <it's easy. laughs> that, that's true. Okay, now you, you. I have one more question for you since you mentioned this, and I live in Virginia. Does Potomac translate to anything? Because I live on the Potomac River, which is spelled uh, yeah. almost exactly the same, except with a C. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I lived in Maryland for a long time, in Columbia and, uh, and uh, D.C. Yes. So for me, when I found out that, um, that Neubauten had a label called Potomac, I asked the exact same question. Oh, so, okay. Alex? Tell us. <laughs> okay. Well, it's uh, it's quite simple actually. In order to <clears throat> in order to get your records distributed in Europe, at least you need to have a label with a label code. And back in the day when when Neubauten started uh, producing and releasing our own records outside of a record company, um, we needed we needed to purchase a label code. And we, it's just like an, a number, you know? Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so the, the label Potomac was on sale at that point. And so we just bought that, we just bought that name and number in order to get our record uh, onto the shelves of, of the distributor. Oh, that is uh, awesome. And we, and we kept that name, you know, we never, never bothered with, with changing that name. So that's, that's what that I is. think it's great because I always <laughs> loved that name, Potomac. Potomac, right? Yeah. The, the Potomac? The, I always loved that. Yeah, and, and you know, as I used to go to the, to the Potomac River when I lived in Virginia as a kid, then we moved away. And yeah. now as an adult, I moved back and now I take my kids there. And it's, uh, so I've always loved that. So Yeah, me too. And I, it, was, it was odd because somehow, you know, I, I've come from so far away to end up on a label that is the same name as the river where I was basically growing up. It, was, it somehow has something magical. So I always loved that actually. That's wonderful. That's, and, and thank we, I guess I will let you guys have the rest of your evening. And uh, that's a perfect way to, to, to wrap this whole thing up. Thank you guys so much for spending so much time with me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's so much fun chatting with you. It really is. Well, you guys are welcome back anytime. Anytime you want to you wanna chat. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you, brother. And have a wonderful day. Thank you. You have a wonderful <laughs> evening. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.